When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. I'm Nate Rohr. Marin Angus Combs is sitting next to me to my right. And every week for the rest of the college softball season here in 2023, we'll be talking Huskers softball, Big Ten softball, the national picture, everything going on in the world of college softball. We're uh, about a month into the season. And so far, of course, Oklahoma, the two-time defending national champion, thrashed UCLA and Cathedral City to reassert themselves as the top team in the country. Haven't had a whole lot of definition in the Big Ten. What have been your early impressions of this college softball season? Let me tell you, I was at that Oklahoma-UCLA game. And I sat front row behind home plate. I was pumped. I was ready for a close game. And that is definitely not <laughs> what happened. Uh, Alex Duraco, backdoor curveball, filthy. Mm. Absolutely filthy. I sat next to Jada Coleman's uncle who yelled the entire time. So everyone <laughs> who commented on the guy that was screaming nonstop behind home plate, that was him. I sat next to him. So I was near deaf when I left (laughs) and it just, it was ugly. It was ugly for UCLA and it was good to see Oklahoma finally turn into the Oklahoma team that we all thought they were going to be. And really reassert themselves because it it had felt like they had been just kind of muddling along. Right. And, And sometimes you see this with teams that are, you know, multiple-time national champs the the two years before, where the regular season is almost boring to them. And and the Sooners hadn't really let any game go other than the game at Baylor uh, the week before, but it it just felt like they were almost bored. That UCLA game woke them up. Yeah, that's the type of feeling I got, too. It was kind of slow, but Oklahoma starts slow. If you look at their history, they... They tend to get going around a month in, which is where we're at now. So I felt like in that moment, and we finally saw someone come through in the circle, the circle had been struggling. That pitching staff, struggling with control. But Alex Duraco has, I think she's grabbed the ace title so far. She certainly was that sort of pitcher at Michigan, and it's not surprising that she has reemerged in that way uh, for Oklahoma after transferring as a graduate uh, for her final year of college softball. So that's kind of the national picture. Of course, we're in Omaha. We're uh, a, a podcast that will have a pretty good eye on Nebraska softball. What have been your overall impressions of them so far? I have been impressed. I knew that the Clearwater weekend was going to be tough. I knew that looking at the schedule preseason-wise, I circled it. I was like, okay, this is going to be where they have to really prove themselves. But at that point, they still had, they had nothing to lose, right? Mm-hmm. They weren't – I don't think they were expected to win any games. If any, it was that a and Maybe one. Game, right? Maybe one. And that was yeah. the game that they won. Yep. 
So I feel like they met the expectation for how to perform that weekend. But every other weekend has been dominant. Yeah. They, they, the thing for me is they've held serve, right? You go down to Houston, they lose to South Dakota State. Tori Kanishi is a legitimate top-notch mid-major pitcher. So 4-1 and one, losing to her, no shame in that. And then you go week two to Clearwater, and you just see where you are. And, and, and you know, Thursday was a step back. They get blasted by UCLA. They get blasted by Oklahoma State. But then they come back Friday, compete well against Virginia Tech. They win the game Saturday against A&M. They compete fairly well against Arkansas on Sunday. Absolutely. And the Oklahoma State game, I would – the thing I was impressed with the most is they got their tails handed to them in Clearwater by the Cowgirls, right? Uh-huh. But the next weekend, that's who they open up with in New Mexico. And they kind of turned it around, right? It, it became a very closer game, and it wasn't the blowout that we saw the week before. And then the Huskers move on to New Mexico. You mentioned uh, the the game in Las Cruces, a much tighter game for Nebraska against Oklahoma, or against the uh, Oklahoma State Cowgirls, a 3-1 OSU decision where they score two in the seventh. Uh, and, and that's where I think things turned a corner because I, I, they fought well with Oklahoma State. They beat New Mexico State, uh, the no-hitter by Sarah Harness. And, and, you know, really the New Mexico weekend and the Tucson weekend, to me, have felt very similar uh, from the standpoint that uh, the first day was kind of a pitching day, right? Mm-hmm. They, they pitched well against Oklahoma State. They pitched it well uh, against New Mexico State on that Friday, pitched well last Friday down in Tucson. Then Saturday's your offense day. Um, you know, double-digit runs against Bakersfield and New Mexico. And, and then, of course, the Husker offense was lighting up the scoreboard against Weber and Arizona. And then Sunday was really just the find-a-way-to-win day. Um, it, different games in terms of their, uh, what it looked like offensively, uh, a one nothing game against New Mexico, uh, the Sunday game in Las Cruces. But then against CSUN, a lot of runs scored, but still just kind of finding a way to win despite not having your best. Right, and that game against Arizona, I really want to talk about that one because that – that was a statement win early in the season. Arizona is a ranked top 20 team. Depending on which rankings you're looking at, they're as high as 16 at that point, right? Yeah. And their team, they made the Women's College World Series last year. They're young. They're, the coach is young. I mean, I say Kate, Caitlin Lowe has only been the head coach for a couple years now. Right. So the way that the Huskers came out in that game and just took it to the Wildcats. Mm-hmm. That was a statement, and I'm impressed. And I think the whole atmosphere of it was impressive. The ballpark was pretty well full. Notably, a couple of of buses of alumni uh, made their way down to Tucson for that game. Um, And and so it was maybe a little less hostile crowd than you might think, but it's still 2,000 people watching you. That's probably not going to happen the rest of the year unless there's a good weather home game for Nebraska. And, and so this team dealt with with all the distractions that that brings about. Arizona, just the name on the front of the jersey, does something to you in college softball. 
and, and the players dealt with that. Uh, you know, you have to respect Courtney Wallace, the way she competed in that game. The fact that, you know, she gets an early lead, Arizona comes back with three runs, and, and then soon after that, uh, you know, Nebraska bounces back offensively, and then from that point forward, Courtney was dominating that game. She absolutely was not losing that game. And that's a mark of a, of a great pitcher, of a senior pitcher, of a leader. And that's what you're expecting out of Courtney this year. I don't know that Nebraska had gotten it to this point, but they got it in spades on Saturday. Yeah, and you mentioned the hostile environment. I really want to explain what Tucson is like on a game day because I know I've been there in the postseason, which it, it, this is a regular season. I know that, but... That crowd is fired up for every single Arizona home game. It doesn't matter who they're playing. And to battle that, I mean, that's impressive. And like you said, Courtney Wallace, that's the pitcher on that game that we've been waiting to see all year. Right. And you worried, you know, would, would being a, a senior tri-captain, but really the top of that triangle, you know, it was one thing last year when Olivia Farrell uh, was the captain with her. It, it really felt like the leadership load was balanced. Maya Felder is not a terribly vocal leader. Great kid, great player, I think a useful leader, but, but she's a lead-by-example person. Abby Squire, same thing. So of your three track captains, Courtney's really had a greater leadership role in addition to having contribute on both ends of the, of the game. And, and so, you know, early on, maybe that was a little much for her. But again, what she showed against Arizona is very encouraging that she will be able throughout the year uh, to, to carry the mantle. And it becomes really important with the news that we found out on Saturday that Kaylin Kinney, uh, went down with a hand injury and is going to miss the next six to eight weeks. That's a huge loss. She had been pitching very well for Nebraska. However, Sarah Harness is is doing what they need her to do. Mm -hmm. She's been named a Big Ten Pitcher of the Week already once. She's she's out there doing her thing, and she's becoming a really solid number two. And, and really good enough to be an ace. Yes. You, you know, she... The other thing is that Harness works up in the zone. She's got a rise ball. She's more of a traditional power pitcher as opposed to uh, Courtney Wallace and even Kinney when she was available. Those two tend to work down in the zone. So I think Sarah and Wallace and or Kinney, good compliments and, and, and different looks that hitters have to deal with. And then to put a bow on, on what Nebraska's done to this point in the year, uh, they beat Cal State Northridge 11-7. to And, you know, Northridge, decent program, not a program that really catches your eye. And, and I was worried coming into the Northridge game that Nebraska would still be struggling emotionally, uh, that they would still be riding the high of Arizona and would have a tough time refocusing. And maybe if they got down early, uh, it, it was a game that could get away from them. And, and instead, they kept throwing punches. Sarah Harness wasn't her sharpest uh, in that game on Sunday. Courtney came out of the bullpen again and, and wasn't razor sharp, but got the job done, competed, and fought. Meanwhile, the Husker offenses woke up. And, and maybe that's one of the big storylines that we need to, to work on 
here with this team that has now uh, won nine straight games is the pitching was carrying this team before. But this offense has finally started to produce runs. The batting average looked good basically the whole time, but they weren't getting runs to show for them. That's changed in a big way this last week. Right. But they've also been facing really good pitching. Sure. Right? You talk beginning of the season, they faced Tori Kanishi, right? She's not just a top mid-major pitcher. She's a top pitcher in the country. She's a top 100 player ranked preseason by D1 softball. So that's, and they struggled to hit her, okay? They struggled to hit in Clearwater, but they played a bunch of great teams in Clearwater. Mm -hmm. Now we go into these, these last two weekends, they're still facing good pitching, but if you look at where they're at overall, they're still as a team batting over 300. Sure. In anybody's eyes, that's, that's good. really good. Right. And you've got some double-digit scoring games to show for it now. I mean, nine against Weber isn't quite there, but it's nine. That's no small thing. And then 10 against Arizona and 11 uh, against Northridge. So that's what we're going to be doing here on Behind the Plate with Marin. And Nate, maybe before we go any farther, let's talk a little bit about our backgrounds in, in softball, college softball. Why do we love this sport? And you can go first. Gosh, oh my gosh. I started playing the sport when I was four. Uh, I don't want to say how old I am exactly, but that was a really long time ago. And I, I've covered this sport from a media standpoint for about the past eight years or so. Mm-hmm. And I ended up here in Omaha a year and a half ago. I got married. I'm coaching softball <laughs> in Omaha, and now I'm I'm covering it right here next to you. This is awesome. Well, there you go. My background was softball. Um, of course, I grew up in the state of Nebraska in Beatrice. Um, grew up loving sports, Husker sports in particular. And my sister was actually a club ball player. My sister would uh, play travel ball, um, and she would come up to Lincoln, which is about 45 minutes from Beatrice, and go to Husker softball hitting camps in the old Schulte Fieldhouse, which was a big, glorious brick building under the north stands of Memorial Stadium. I would stow away so I could run around the football stadium. But I was able to be around softball because of my sister, Uh, And then I joined up with the Nebraska softball program in 2004, uh, first as the public address announcer. uh, And then for the 2004 Big 12 tournament, and Nebraska had won the regular season championship that year. That was Peaches James' senior year. Uh, And so we get to the Big 12 tournament, and it was going to be a legit week. You leave on Monday, and because the Huskers were the favorite to win the conference tournament, you weren't going to get back until Sunday. And so at that time, the Pinnacle Sports Network, which held the rights to Husker uh, broadcasts at the time, they had a 12-game package of which six guys had done play-by-play. None of the six would take the week off to go, to go down to the Big 12 tournament. So they asked the old PA guy, well, Nebraska wins the Big, Te- Big 12 tournament, and uh, things went fairly well. The next year, I got the 12-game package, and then uh, I've been around ever since. I'm very fortunate to be around uh, ever since. And uh, speaking of fortune and speaking of uh, a long-term connection, the coach that I've been fortunate enough 
to cover for basically two decades. Of course, the Hall of Famer, Ronda Ravel, joining us here uh, on Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. And, uh, Coach Ravel, month into the season, just what's the temperature of this team and, and how has this team uh, met your expectations uh, through the first 20 games? Well, yes. Uh, thank you. Wel- welcome. Uh, it's good to be here. But, um, you know, it's been it's been an interesting 20 games because we've experienced a little bit of everything, um, highs and lows. And but but that's the story of any season. Right. And it's the story of life. We have ebbs and flows and it's how we nav- navigate both. And I think sometimes how we navigate the highs with humility and how we navigate the lows with humility as well. And and I think what I can say about this team without hesitation is that we're a growing team, we're a learning team, we're a unified team, and we're a team that desires to become the best version of itself over the long haul. And even, even in our games where we haven't performed particularly well on maybe one side of the ball, you can see us working through and no one is uh, coming close to giving up or giving in. Coach, you mentioned uh, the ebbs and flows of the season, and you set out to challenge this team in in non-conference, the the St. Petersburg tournament, a game against Oklahoma State. How do you think your team has dealt with facing such tough opposition and and coming through that still confident and and growing as players? Yeah, great question, Nate. Um, What I I know through just experience of – playing the game for a long time and now coaching it for a long time is that you don't know sometimes what you don't know. And what I mean by that, we can take the majority of our classes on our team, some our junior classes on down, and they in their freshman year only played a Big Ten schedule. So there were some very good Big Ten teams, but they knew no teams outside the Big Ten conference on a national scale. They hadn't experienced that. They hadn't experienced the feeling of it or anything, the gravity of what a win or a loss could do for you. And then we hadn't, in the in the most recent years, we hadn't won a lot. So um, what, what was known as our standard of winning, let me put it that way. And so I knew last year it was really important to schedule where we had a chance to get on the right side of the scoreboard and taste that and experience that and believe it and learn how to do it. Because with everything, you have to learn how to do it. And you'll have to learn how to sustain doing it over time. And I, I felt like we were able to do that last year. And as we were doing that last year and I was scheduling for this year, I thought we're going to need the next test. The next ladder of the rung of the ladder is to now do a little more testing, you know, baptism by fire. So when we got the invite to Clearwater, we jumped right into that thing. And I knew, I mean, if you even look, go back and look at day one, I've gone back and looked at some video because we were watching Oklahoma State because we were going to play them again. And our just some of the close-ups on our eyes, it just looked like the game was really big and really fast. And then when we played them again the next weekend, Nate, as you watched, I mean, it was one-one ball game going in the seventh inning. Looks like almost two different teams from the inside out. And so when we then go to Arizona and we have another opportunity to play a very good Arizona team who is exceptionally good on their home field to a sold out crowd, what an environment. I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't replicate that in any practice. And so the fact that we stood and delivered in that moment, um, I would say, you know, the progression of it, I, I thought maybe we had a chance 
uh, you know, against Virginia Tech, and we let that one slip away a little bit. You know, so you have those those games that you kind of go, oh, we might have had that one. But but over the long haul and looking at the first 20 games, um, the schedule is doing and has done what we hoped it would do. And after that Arizona game, there was there was a video of you that went that went a little viral. You were very emotional after that win. Just what what were you feeling in that moment, and and how were you how was your team feeling? Because that's that's a high that you ride for, you want to ride for a, a couple of days, right? Yeah, probably the hardest thing about that victory, Marin, was that we didn't really get to enjoy it. We had to play again the next morning at nine a.m. and so. I went back to the hotel, showered eight and started scouting Northridge and just tried to be polite and answer people's texts, you know, uh, and respond. Uh, and so that, you know, that, that would have been nice because that was an important victory for this program. And the emotions come from a lot of different places. I mean, I'm 31 years into this program and have been through, you know, a lot of different alumni, a lot of different teams. And it was kind of one of those culminating moments where you just, we had alumni there, we had Nebraska Husker Nation there. And it just, um, you know, anytime you can, anytime you can be a part of helping others feel joy, it fills you with joy. And I think sometime in sport, we don't use that word enough. I think, you know, the competitive nature of sport kind of brings out some you know, like aggression and aggressiveness and all that. And sometimes I think we need to go on the other side and talk about um, really the spirit behind with which we all play the game. Just such a fun Saturday at Arizona. And like you said, so many Husker fans were there. Terry Pettit, the legendary volleyball coach, was there. Megan Mullen, former Husker outfielder, was there. I regret not getting a chance to run into her down there at Arizona. <laughs> but uh, at, at any rate, uh, you, you mentioned this team had, or this program had gone through some downtimes uh, after the, the 2016 season, no regionals uh, for five years, which, which is uh, unheard of with this program. As you've gotten this program back on track, the, the second place finish in the Big Ten last year, the Big Ten tournament title, uh, the strong start to this season. What adjustments did you make as a coach to get this thing back on track to where Nebraska is, again, nationally competitive? You know, I, I really can't take the credit. It, it's the players um, that have made the adjustments, and our coaching staff is just super grateful to them. They are invested. And when I say invested, you know, I think I don't think we've ever – not had people that weren't invested and they didn't come to practice and work hard. But I think in order to be successful at a really high level at the collegiate level where there's so much parity, you have to be invested body, mind, spirit, soul. And I just really, at the end of the 2021 season, I had three individuals walk into my office, Courtney Wallace, Carly Sievers, and Olivia Farrell and say, we're going to make, we're going to make a push and we're going to turn this thing around and it's, it's going to start with us and we're going to make sure coach, we're going to, we're going to follow your lead. They're going to follow our lead and on down. And really when you have special teams, I don't care if it's in business or whatever, when you have special teams, there's layers upon layers upon layers of that kind of investment. 
and and they've just had it. And you know, so then what happens is you have the older players then you know pouring that into the younger players, and then as the younger players get older, they're pouring it into the younger players, and you start to really roll with a system of passing it on. And that's what they're doing. They're passing it on. You mentioned the younger players. Let's talk about Caitlin Canada for a second because she's just been named the the conference freshman of the week. Her offensive game has really come on strong. Just talk about her and, and how she's come come along and progressed so far throughout this season. You know, she she's a fun, she's a fun young lady to work with because um She's kind of goofy. I mean, if you're just around her, you know, she giggles all the time and she's kind of goofy, but then you put her on the field and she has this sneaky competitive nature. I mean, because she's always got a smile on her face, but it's kind of like, better watch out. I'm like, like, Kate, you're one of those practical jokers, aren't you? She just has that spirit about her. So but you talk about seeing joy in somebody like when she's gotten some hits, her eyes get really big and, you know, her face just lights up and, you can't, you can't package that stuff and sell it for too much. I mean, she's just, she's just a really fun, um, fun athlete. And I have to give her a lot of credit too, because she's on the infield with a very veteran infield. And when she first started being out there day in, day out with them, I think, I don't think it was overwhelming, but it might've been a little intimidating, but credit goes to our veteran players who have just brought her along and said, come along, Kate. And then once she got comfortable, you started to see what you see now and, She's communicating well. She's moving well. She's anticipating. And even Terry Pettit, you speak of Terry Pettit, Nate, he keeps saying, he's told me twice, I did a podcast with him and he mentioned Kate and, and he saw her live and in person. He goes, I'm just really impressed with your second baseman. Yeah, Terry Pettit with no freshman plugging right into a lineup and, and, and making a positive impact. All right, so that's what has happened. Let's look ahead to what what is going to happen. You guys are at the Shocker Classic this weekend, a couple of games against Wichita State. Excellent team, great offense. Sidney McKinney is one of the best hitters in the country. Addison Barnard, one of the top home run hitters in the country last year. Uh, And then uh, a game against Omaha on Wednesday, March the 15th, and then five down in Lawrence. What does your team need to do in this nine, ten game stretch, because you also play Iowa State before Big Ten play begins. What does your team need to do in this next 10-game stretch to be ready for Big Ten competition? Well, number one, we need to get healthy. (laughs) That's one. We're a little dinged up right now, but we won't talk too much about that. Uh, Number two, we need to keep building on the offense. You and I have talked about that a lot, Nate, off the air. Uh, I think we saw some real strides, and we feel like we have some things that are going on behind the scenes that are really – helping with that. Um, and then number three, uh, we need to, you know, our pitchers, we are limited right now. Uh, when you're down a pitcher, like with the way KK had come out, you know, that, that took a toll a little bit this weekend. It would have been nice to give her some innings because both, both, uh, court and, uh, Sarah had over 300 competitive pitches this weekend. And that's a pretty high volume in a weekend. So, We've got to keep building them up, not only physically, but then mentally to endure. You know, the fact that Courtney probably froze one of the best games of her career against Arizona on Saturday night and then had to come come back and throw Sunday would have been nice to be able to give her the day off, right? And uh, 
So I think that's another thing that needs to happen is that as they just build their competitive endurance, um, because it is enduring. I mean, I, I grabbed Court after the Arizona game and just looked in her eyes. I said, you've got to be exhausted. She goes, yeah, I am. But it was more, probably more mentally than anything, right? Oh, and sure, deservingly sure. so. Yeah, a, a big, big test to be sure. And Courtney was uh, equal to it. And your team has been equal uh, to a pretty challenging schedule uh, at this point of the year. Coach, I, I know you've got to run to a bullpen, but we really appreciate you coming on with us here on Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. And uh, thank you for hopping on our maiden voyage. Well, you are very welcome. And what a clever name. Behind, yeah. the, na- uh, behind the Nate, behind the plate with Marin and Nate. Hey, and, and I'm usually behind the plate anyway. I mean, the first three weeks I was uh, sitting on a table behind the plate. I think that's actually our setup down in Wichita this week. So all the more appropriate. Again, thank you, Coach, and uh, uh, good luck uh, the rest of the way, and we'll see you on the bus to Wichita. Thank you, Nate. Take care, you too. You betcha. There is the head softball coach, Rhonda Ravel, the head softball coach at the University of Nebraska. Again, the Huskers are 14-6 and on the year. I think uh, if you were going through their schedule at the beginning of the season, I think you would have felt pretty good uh, about 14-6. and You would have felt like that's about where it ought to be. And, And that Arizona game is really the first point where they beat somebody that maybe you didn't expect them to beat them. Yeah, I would agree with that. And and as you mentioned with Coach Ravel this weekend, the Shocker Classic, that's a tough, tough team. They are also playing Missouri State, which isn't a sleeper team either. They're normally in the mix for, for a tournament bid. But Wichita, Sydney McKinney is hitting over 600. Uh, He's, she is sitting. Yeah. She was sitting over 700 for most of this season so far. And, and her hitting streak ended at like 34 games over the weekend. She is unreal. You mentioned Barnard. She's from your hometown. She's a Beatrice kid. Yep. She's a home run hitting machine, a great player. It's a great, that's a great team. And they're, they're ranked too. They're depending on the rankings that you look at. But if you look at D one, where I normally look, Wichita and Nebraska are sitting very even yeah. In their rankings. Yeah, it, it should those two games this weekend, and Nebraska plays the Shockers Friday at five. They play them again Saturday at two thirty. Those two games should be two of the top games of the weekend for for a variety of reasons. And uh, you know, part of it is the ability for Nebraska to separate themselves in terms of seeding and in terms of selection, because even though Nebraska has some work to do to get in the top 16, even where the, they send you as a two uh, depends somewhat on what you're able to do in these head-to-head matchups. I mean, it's very realistic that on Selection Sunday, it could come down to Wichita State and Nebraska, and one goes to Norman and one goes to Stillwater. I mean, it, it, these are the matches that that separate good teams from great teams and set teams up for regionals that they can win unfortunately i don't know if i would want to go to either of those places uh (laughs) no so but you are right i mean we're looking at two teams in the top 25 that could end up going to a number one seed and a number three seed and that's not ideal no 
Yeah, the 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 it, I I would say the team whoever draws Nebraska and whoever draws Wichita State as their twos will will not be happy about uh, how things are set up. Well, we've talked quite a bit about the Huskers. Let's let's broaden our our scope a little bit. Check out our Big Ten power rankings again. We're uh, one month into the season, and uh, of course, Marin, you release a set of power rankings every week, correct? I do. So every Friday on Hale Varsity, we've got our Big Ten power rankings, and and they they, they will fluctuate just sure. like any set of rankings, right? And and this week when I put them out, I had Maryland, Northwestern, Nebraska as the top three. I I think it's fair to say those are the top three teams in the conference right now. Obviously, with the way things shook out over the weekend, we're going to look at maybe something like a Nebraska, Maryland, Northwestern. Northwestern has been struggling. And I watched them play out at the Mary Nutter. And I think the one thing I noticed is that Danielle Williams is not the Danielle Williams that we've seen in years past. She is, she's just, she's getting hit. Oh. She's getting hit hard. And I, last time I checked, her ERA was over, was almost five, if not over five. Yikes. That's just, it's not, it's just not Danielle Williams. No. And, and then you look at, you look at a team like Maryland. Holy moly. Yeah. Like I knew Maryland was building something and coach Mark Montgomery. Love the guy. I've gotten to know him over the last few years. He's a great coach and he's got a great team. And I think Maryland has surprised a lot of people because they haven't been, they haven't been up here. Right. They haven't been nationally ranked in over 10 years. Like this is just, this is new. They beat Oklahoma state the first weekend of the year. And I think that was the signpost to everybody uh, that that Maryland was going to be on the stage. The Terps were essentially the first team out from the Big Ten. Uh, seven Big Ten schools made the NCAA regionals. Maryland was sort of the first excluded. I think it's safe to say they're a regional team this year. I hundred percent. I I I'm a betting woman. Yes, I am. Ah. I I yes, and I would I would bet money on the Terps to be in the postseason this year. All right, so. Your top three could see Nebraska top them. My top three right now, uh, I'm going to stay with Northwestern, one, but with very a very tentative hold. They've got to show me something. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know what it is about Northwestern sports. I'm talking football. I'm talking basketball, softball, the whole thing. It's like their teams are prone to starting slow. And I don't know if it's a smart kid thing. I don't know what it is. But for whatever reason, Northwestern teams tend to start slow. And the Drohans always schedule very tough, to their extreme credit. They schedule tough, and I'm, I'm sure they threw them in the deep end of the pool uh, this year because they were thinking, well, this is, this is a nationally competitive team. This is a team that we need to be thinking about top eight national seed uh, to position ourselves for uh, the College World Series. But you're right, Danielle Williams has not produced at the level that Northwestern needs her to. So I'm going to keep the Cats are one right now, but that can change pretty quickly. Because of their win against Oklahoma State, I've got Maryland too, like you said. 
I feel like they have played really well. Uh, they've, they've probably done the most of anybody in the Big Ten, if that makes sense. Nebraska's three. Again, the Arizona win is a strong statement. Um, I, I feel like they need to back it up with at least one win in Wichita uh, because, you know, it's, it's even, but you're on the road. You need to go win one. You mm-hmm. need to go win one more road game against a, a top-notch foe like Wichita going into conference. So, again, Huskers three, but they can move up pretty easily in my eyes. Yeah, and I think even if you split those two games with Wichita, that's a successful two-game set. However, you cannot split with Missouri State. No. You have to win both those games. I think a three-in-one weekend in Wichita is is minimum of what needs to happen. I I think three-in-one's probably par. Yeah. You know? If Nebraska goes three-in-one in Wichita, uh, you hop on the bus and go, okay, that's pretty good. Uh, you're not disappointed. You're not thrilled. Um, but but you're, you're content. You're right. fine with it. Right. So, okay. Uh, do you want to do the next three in your rankings? We can go the next three. Okay. So, we're looking at, you know, Michigan is not the same Michigan we've seen. Um, however, they've also played a very tough schedule. Yeah. So, We've got the next three. I had Minnesota, Michigan, and surprisingly, Iowa. And I'm going to say this because I watched Iowa play in person. I'm, I'm very big on the eye test. And when you look at what Iowa was able to do in Palm Springs, that was a huge test. They have a freshman pitcher, Jalen Adams, out of Fort Dodge. And she held UCLA to two runs as a true freshman that I, I mean, if I, if I was a true freshman having to face at that point in time, the number one team in the country, I'd probably pee my pants, especially in that building, in that situation in in Southern California. For those of you who have never been to Palm Springs for the Mary Nutter tournament, it's absolutely insane. And it is a, it is a UCLA home crowd. Yep. And that Iowa came in under the lights and that, to me, was one of the best games of the weekend. And so I have them up there, followed by Ohio State, who is also in Palm Springs. I just feel I feel a little biased towards teams that go to Palm huh. Springs. But you've been there. You That tournament is, I mean, compared to Clearwater, I mean, those two are the top ter- those two Those are the top two tournaments. I mean, there was a time where you could say it was Mary Nutter, then a big step down. But that's not the case now. Uh, clear, uh, Mary Nutter is a crucible. It, it is a very tough non-conference tournament. And, and you do learn a lot about your team, and you're usually going to get at least three good games, maybe more. Uh, so I, I do feel like going to the Nutter helps you. If you go to Clearwater, you don't have to go there, you know, vice versa. Uh, but but yeah, it, it helps to go to the Mary Nutter. Uh, as I look at my next three, so I'm going to put Illinois at four. I, I like them a lot. I like that team. I like the program. Avery Steiner, the second baseman's very good. Uh, good lineup. 
some experience back in the pitching circle, a regional team last year. Tyra Perry is always very competitive. So I'm going Illinois four. Ohio State five. Uh, no Lexi Handley this year for the for the Buckeyes, but I, I think they've kind of done what they do, which is they're good, they're competitive, they're not that team that's going to take that next step to hosting a regional, uh, but but they are a team that you expect to go to regionals and you expect them to kind of be in the mix. Then I've got Michigan sixth. You know, it's been a bumpy transition, and I mean, not only do you have Carol Hutchins retiring and handing off the program to Bonnie Thal, but you also have uh, most of that roster changing over. Uh, you you lose Storaco, you lose a bunch of players, and and so it's been really rough for them. And and you know, truth be told, I'm not so sure I don't have them a little high because I mean, they're ten and ten right now. Yes, they've played a tough schedule, but not that tough. Um, this is a Michigan team that's going to have to do some work down the stretch to make it back to regionals. Absolutely. You look at Michigan's season so far. Yes. They, they went to Clearwater. They played, they lost to UCF. They lost to Oklahoma state. They lost to Duke. Those all three teams are, were ranked. Right. And then they beat Louisiana and Mississippi state, but then they go to Stanford. This is big. They played Boise State twice. They played Nevada. Nevada's sneaky good right now. And they played two games against Stanford. They went one and four yeah. with a two-to-one win against Boise. And that is, that is not a successful weekend. No, not for them. Not for them. Then they go to Judy Garman, who that's also a very good tournament out yeah. in Fullerton. And I watched a couple of games. I, I watched their game against Fullerton. It went extra innings. It, Fullerton's a good team as well, but that was a little bit better, 3-2 and two, with a 2 nothing loss and an 8 nothing loss at LSU and UCLA, both of the ranked teams. So they, they won the games they needed to win, and they lost the games that they probably should have lost. Yeah. But now we look ahead at Michigan. They've got Georgia Southern, Kent State, Bowling Green. That's I mean, that's... That's a walkover That's, a walk over. That's yeah. where you, you should go undefeated. Absolutely. But for me, when I look at the Big Ten, I look at some of these teams and, and what their conference schedule looks yeah. like, right? Because you have some teams that you look at and you're like, oh, my gosh, how did they, how'd they get away with this? <laughs> and because I know the schedule changes right. every year. I think Nebraska has one of the toughest conference schedules Yeah, when you look at it. Um, and then – you look at you look at a team like Maryland. I'm saying it right now because their conference schedule is one of the I'm not going to say easiest, but I guess it's pretty it's, manageable. It's very manage, manageable. We look at um, I'm going to bring it up right now just so that you guys can hear this because they oh they play Indiana, Michigan State, doubleheader with Rutgers, Nebraska, Iowa, Penn State. Wisconsin, Illinois. Yep. They avoid Michigan. They avoid Minnesota. Yep. They avoid Northwestern. Yeah, that's a pretty good draw. And, and I know the conference has made a more concerted effort to have competitively balanced scheduling. And, and so uh, this is this is a result of it to give Maryland a chance to kind of get up off the mat and put together a, a year where they could go to a regional. It's set up, and it it looks like they're headed that way. I Absolutely. Mean, All right, so continuing on, let's go four here. I got Wisconsin seven, 
Penn State 8, Minnesota 9, Purdue 10. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, with Wisconsin, they got off to an awful start. They did not win a game down in Mexico. But I feel like they've turned it around. And they're, they're a team, as you kind of look at this bottom half-ish of the conference, they're, they're a stock I would buy right now because Kayla Conwent's still there. I think they've gotten some very good pitching uh, from the freshman, freshman Monticelli. Uh, so I think Wisconsin, Wisconsin's seven now. I don't know that they're going to stay there. I think they're going to go up. Um, eighth, Penn State have been a little disappointed with the Nittany Lions. I, I just don't quite think that uh, they're getting quite as much out of, out of what they have. Um, but, you know, that's another one that I kind of keep an eye on uh, as a, a team that can rise. Ninth, Minnesota, I just don't know what to make of them. They, they haven't been able to pitch the ball yeah. the last couple of years. Um, you know, all the turnover they've had uh, with the head coach, and you know, that kills recruiting, especially on the pitching side where it's such a competitive uh, market to, to try and add players. So I got Minnesota nine and then Purdue 10. And they've just kind of kind of kept their heads above, above water. So that's my next four. How do you see it? Yeah. Um, let's see. Where am I at? I've got – I have Rutgers in, in this area. I don't know what to make of Rutgers right now. Just, their record is good. They're producing. They've got massive numbers. They're just not playing anybody. Right. And – it's like, okay, how do, how do we play with this? Because they're really not going to get tested until conference play. And, but they have, they have massive offensive numbers right now. Mm-hmm. They've got, they've got uh, Kylie Sand is her name. Yes. She's, she's leading the conference and leading the NCAA in some offensive categories right now. And you look, you look at her, she's got over 20 RBIs. Yeah. At this point in the year, uh, you know, I, I, I see Rutgers as dangerous, but you're right. They, they've just not challenged themselves. And I know that Rutgers is at that place in their program where they've got to build some confidence, but it feels like they've been there for a few years and, and they've sort of done that already. Yeah. So now the, now's the time to start thinking about regionals and, and the non-conference schedule that they assembled isn't going to get it done. No. And that's something that, you know, we kind of talked to Coach Ravel about at the beginning of the year, like setting up your schedule, mm-hmm. right? And it's something through the course of my career, I've always been curious how coaches navigate setting up that schedule in order to secure themselves in the postseason. And I remember a couple years ago, actually, I had a conversation with uh, Rachel Lawson from Kentucky. They're always in the postseason, right? They, right. they never win the SEC, but they're always in the postseason. And she's like, I always try to keep my RPI around like late thirties. Right. And when she scheduled non-con, it was to make sure that those teams RPIs were in a certain range Mm -hmm. and she wouldn't play anything less than that. So when you look, when you look at teams like that, that that's how you set up your non-conference schedule. Right. You want winnable, but good, good. Yeah, there is a delicate balance to be struck there. All right, let's take it home. Last four teams in the rankings. I've got Rutgers at 11. That feels low to me. Uh, Like you said, they've they've been very competitive. 
Indiana at 12. I, I've just not been, been uh, enthralled with what I've seen from the Hoosiers to this point. Iowa 13, I think they've got some good pitching. Uh, but, you know, Omaha went out and shut them out last week. Now, Cameron Myers, a legit pitcher. She, right. She's very good, but... You know, as the University of Iowa, that's a game you ought to win. And then Michigan State at 14th. I mean, Sharonda McDonald, first-year head coach. It's going to be a tough road for her. That program's always struggled. Uh, so, unfortunately, I've got a feeling the Spartans are going to be in this 14 spot a lot. Yeah, I just – I don't see right now – I don't see how Michigan State can climb out of this bottom four, bottom three area, even bottom two. That may be harsh. But, um, yeah, they're just – they're, they're going to struggle. And, I mean, Sharonda McDonald, it was great to see her get her first win at, at Texas A&M, right? They, they went down to College Station. She played there. She, she was a great player for the Aggies. It was great to see her get her first win um, as the Power Five head coach down there. But, man, it, it, she's got an, uh, an uphill battle. Yeah. I mean, that program has an expectation of losing, even though Michigan is a little more vulnerable. Um, it's still Michigan. Uh, there's just not not a, a winning expectation at Michigan State softball, and there hasn't been for a long time. So just flipping that mindset, I think, for Sharonda, is going to be the biggest biggest obstacle coming up. Yeah, and that's got to be hard as a player, right? I mean, yeah. you when you commit to a program and knowing that, They've only had one, two, less than five winning seasons in the past. 20 years. Yep. Right? Like, that's got to be so hard. Yep. It, 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 it's a long way to go. No question about it. So, so, yeah, there is how we see the Big Ten two weeks away from conference play. So, about 10 games left for everybody before they open the league. The Huskers. Uh, with 10 non-conference games yet before they jump into Big Ten play. They'll first face Purdue at Boland Stadium toward the end of March. Marin, anything else we need to get to this week? I don't think so. I think that, that felt pretty good for felt episode good. one. Felt good. Well, relatively speaking. Relatively. You're not, you're not mean, the one burning through a half box of tissues right now. <laughs> hey, you know what? I took my allergy medicine this yeah, morning. Good for you. Yes, I might <laughs> find some. All right. Well, hopefully I, I'm over this cold, but we, we do really appreciate you joining us here on Behind the Plate with Marin and Nate. We're going to be here every week chatting about Husker softball, Big Ten softball, the national picture, everything going on in the world of college softball. So thank you for the download, and we'll talk to you again next week. A Huda Media Production.